It's the Eggship Podcast. I'm Patrick Mayhorn. I'm the founder of the Eggship, a credentialed outlet and newsletter delivering Utah State football, men's basketball, and women's basketball feature-length stories and reporting to your inbox several times per week. You can subscribe at www.theagship.com at either the $6 or $10 a month tier. If you'd like, you can try the $10 tier, which is the flagship tier free for one month. If you click on the one month free button in the Welcome to the Agship post or any other number of posts, uh, you can follow the outlet on Twitter at the Agship, all one word, uh, and me on Twitter at Patrick underscore Mayhorn. So I've got a couple of things to talk about on this week's episode. Um, the the big news of the college football week is such that uh, I have to at least mention it. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention USC and UCLA m- making the move in starting in 2024 to the Big Ten. Um, I'm going to talk about that a tiny bit, but I'm going to do it more so on the upcoming premium Q&A episode of uh, the Eggship podcast, which I mentioned here at the top. One, because I, I got a question about it in there, and I don't want to give away too much on the uh, on, on the on the free show if I you know got a premium question about it I want to address the premium question directly instead of answering it in two different places um, I don't want to shortchange the uh, the the question askers um, I want to mention this at the top here as well if you are a premium subscriber to the ag ship or if you'd like to be if you've thought about it but you're not quite there yet at the ten dollar tier um when i say premium top tier subscriber that's what i mean is the ten dollar tier this is those are the people who get access to the q a show that will be coming in the next couple days um it's not out yet because here's why i mentioned it at the top i don't have enough questions yet um the google form embed in the post was a little bit funky um i don't think it ever showed up in the Gmail readers. I don't know about other email readers, uh, but I don't think that it ever actually loads in the Gmail readers, which is very frustrating because Google owns Gmail and Google Forms, and you'd think that they could um, make it so that you can see their other things in the email. But all the same, uh, I think that that contributed to part of it. If you want to send in a question and you are a flagship tier, $10 tier subscriber, you have that posted you, you have that uh that call for questions in your inbox to just call it a call for questions um it's also up on the site you can go there if you go to the inbox and you find it and you you want to send in a question click at the top view online uh up at the top of the story you're going to want to look at the post in your browser because the form doesn't show up in the actual email, which is, again, frustrating, but it is what it is. Uh, so if you want to send in a question, find that post on your on your actual web browser, on your computer, or on your phone. You don't have to be signed into Google or anything. I don't believe you even have to have a Google account if you don't have one. Um, you just have to scroll to the bottom of that post, find the Google form, and type out your question. Um, and I, uh, those go straight to me. And I will get to those on the podcast, the uh, the premium Q&A podcast, but I can't do a premium Q&A if I don't have enough questions. Um, it's just the nature of, of the beast. Uh, and, and so if you have anything that you want 
they don't even really need to be questions, just topics, things that you want to hear that you want to hear about on a podcast. Um, please do jump over there, send those my way, and I will get that show to you as the uh, the top tier ten dollar tier subscribers uh, expeditiously. But I'm not going to talk a whole lot about realignment on this one because I am going to on that one, and I don't want to spoil it. Um, I am going to talk this week about two more rooms. Uh, on this on this Utah State roster, uh, as I did last week with the quarterback room, I have some thoughts on the running back room and on the outside receivers room. Um, I split the outside and slot receivers up just because I think that there's enough to talk about with both of them that it merits its own story. Um, I do also have a little bit of a tease, and I'm not going to put that in the show talking points so that the, only the real heads know about this. You can't just get this from, from reading the... Uh, reading the post. You got to listen to the actual podcast. Um, I posted some pictures on Twitter this week on my personal Twitter of old, uh, pictures from the Utah state archive, old game pictures, uh, from, you know, football games and, and old, uh, I guess preseason team pictures and all sorts of cool stuff. Um, a lot of, uh, really, really cool, really good pictures in that bunch that I tweeted. Um, I don't want to give away too much, of what I'm doing, but I will I will mention that um, I was over in the archive room rooms. I guess it's a big room uh, for a reason. I was not just there for fun. It was not a leisure trip. Um, I spent three hours in the archive room on I want to say Wednesday. I apologize. Also, I apologize for the background noise. It sounds like somebody's mowing the lawn or something. Um, but I spent about three hours in the archive room. I am working on a project for the site that I'm really excited about that I think is going to be really cool. Um, there's going to be an aspect of it that is free. If you are a free subscriber, you're not a subscriber at all, but you listen to the podcast, whatever it might be. Um, if you are free, there is an aspect of it that you will be able to engage with. Um, but if you are a, a paid subscriber at any tier, uh, you will be getting, I, I, I think, a really cool week of content coming up here pretty soon. Probably not this upcoming week, but once I've had some time to backlog some posts and I can guarantee that I can get four or five things in this series up in a week, um, I have some really cool history stuff coming on the way, in, including some um, digitized information and uh, records that were otherwise not available online that I have gone through and digitized um, that I'm really, really excited about. I'm not going to give too much away. Like I said, I'm not going to give specifics away on, on what I'm doing, but if you are up on your Utah State football history at all, if you are you know, keen to, I'd say, some of the more interesting teams, some of the better teams, some of the best teams, honestly, in the history of the program, um, you might have a pretty good sense for where I'm headed with this. Uh, I think that the, uh, um, I'm going to be writing a, a series of posts and documenting a series of, of, uh, you know, old scanned, uh, archival information, um, on a specific team from Utah State's football history. Um, it is, <laughs> the, the most I'll say about it is that it's one of the first ones you would guess if you were thinking about Utah State football history. Um, but I was down there, it was, it was super cool, I had a great time looking through all of the old, uh, old stat sheets and, and, 
uh, quote books and pictures and all sorts of stuff. Um, very grateful that Utah State let me let me down in there for so long and just let me do my thing. Um, looked at some old programs that got me all amped up. I love the old uh, art design on those. They just they look awesome. Uh, so if you're a history person, if you like sports history, if you like football history, if you like Utah State history, um, honestly, if you like learning things that maybe you didn't know before about some of the, uh, you know, one of the more, I'd say, important teams in the school's history with, with information that just, as far as I know, isn't really out there elsewhere. Um, <laughs> maybe it is. Maybe maybe Salt Lake Tribune or something has done this 20 years ago, and I'm, I'm, I'm way behind. But hopefully, this is going to be, it's going to be really cool. Um, I think it is. I'm really excited about it. I think that you all are going to really enjoy it. Um, I will tell you more about that uh, once we are closer to it. And I'll certainly have a, a full podcast talking about that once the actual week of content in question drops. But for now, I'm just going to tell you if you are a if you are a history person, if you like Utah State history, I've got something really cool coming in in July here as we as we get into July that I I think you're uh, I think you're really going to like. I know I'm really excited about it. So, all that being said, all of the uh the promotional stuff aside, again, if you have questions, jump onto that post, leave a question in the forum. Doesn't need to be long can just be a topic if you don't want to word it as a question you can do the uh the the journalist thing that i don't like is uh is just asking a coach or a player to talk about something you could do that if you want i don't i don't hold you guys to the same journalistic standards that i hold myself to um but uh anyway all that said let's talk running backs let's let's start with the uh the the first post of the week the one that i did on tuesday about the running back room as part of the forecasting the Aggies series that I'm going to be doing for the rest of the month. Um, we uh, next up will be the slot receivers, I think Monday or Tuesday, and then going to move to tight ends, offensive line, defensive line, so on and so forth. Um, as it goes, just to to take a look before fall camp at what the depth chart looks like, uh, at least in my mind. And obviously, a lot of this is subject to change. I don't know for sure any of this stuff. There's some some places that I am specifically not confident in. Um, all over wide receiver, especially, is, is a mess. Wide, the wide receiver room, I have no idea right now. But starting with running back, um, uh, there's a couple things here that stand out to me. At the top, obviously, the big name is Calvin Tyler Jr., right? He you know rushed for almost 900 yards last season, was efficient, explosive, every positive word you could use to describe a... Um, a running back. He was that. He was very, very good. Um, he showed a ton of patience in the backfield and, and was, was willing to let blockers set up their, their blocks before breaking downfield, which I think is a really, really strong benefit to this offense. It's something that the offense really needs to function as a patient running back, and he is the most patient running back on the team, one of the most patient running backs in the Mountain West. Um He's a lot more physical than I think people give him credit for, despite being, you know, 5'8", 210 pounds. He is really not afraid of contact at all. He, he is willing to he's willing to uh, make contact when needed. Uh, he's got a great stiff arm. Calvin Tyler Jr., obviously very good. I'm not, not breaking any news here. The thing that I'm interested with him this season, the thing that I'm interested about with him this season is volume. It's... Uh, carries, carry numbers. He carried 196 times for 884 yards last season. Utah State has not had 
a 1,000-yard rusher since 2015 when Michael Gordon did it. He carried for uh, he carried 167 times for 1,068 yards. He was also a 1,000-yard rusher in, or rather, not not Utah State. Apologies. Um, Blake Anderson rather has not produced a thousand yard rusher since Michael Gordon at Arkansas at Arkansas State in 2015. Gordon also did it in 2014. Um, Utah State rather, <laughs> apologies, uh, has had uh, they had one in 2018, one in 2013, and one in 2012. Um, a thousand yard rusher. So it's not it's not super common. This is not a program that has really staked its claim as having these workhorse, you know, 250 plus carry backs. And that's not, you know, it's not good or bad. It just is the approach. Um, and so Tyler is kind of battling against that. I don't really think of institutional history as, um, predictive at all because of coaching changes, because of scenario changes around college football, whatever it might be. The the teams are, it's very difficult to make historical connections of any sort of, you know, meaning in college football because things change so rapidly because coaching staffs are different and players are different but uh, still worth mentioning it's not super common at Utah State and it's really not common under Blake Anderson uh, which is the the point that I really wanted to hammer home in the Calvin Tyler section which is that I think he absolutely has the talent to be a 1,000 yard rusher in 2022 I think that there's not a question about it if he had you know if he had played a full season in 2021, then I think he would have been a thousand yard rusher. He missed two games. Um, but there is a, there's a hang up here with the offense that he is in. That is not a hang up in scheme. It is a hang up in personnel deployment. So Anderson has had two running backs since he started as a head coach in 2014. He's had two running backs go over 200 carries in a season. Um, 2014 and 2016. It was 211 and 200 in those two seasons. Anthony Tucker, who's the offensive coordinator, um, if we're going back to 2019 UCF, which is when he started as, I want to say, the run game coordinator out there, run either run or pass game, one of those co-coordinator positions. Um, he has never had an offense with a running back who went over 200 carries in a season. Um, his most is Tyler by 196, uh, or with 196 this last season. That's more than his previous high by nearly 50 carries. Um, Anthony Tucker does not really like a bell cow. It's just there's a reason that these two are paired, and it's it's a similar ideology in a lot of things. And this is it's the same thing here. Anderson and Anthony Tucker do not really like a bell cow running back. They like to keep guys fresh. They like a rotation. They like a strong second running back. Um, their their second running backs are averaging like, uh, you know, somewhere around 135 carries per season, 120 to 135. Um, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot for a second running back. And then third running backs will get involved. You saw this last year at, at Utah State with Noah. Um, who was, you know, he had 600 some yards. Um, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot of, that's a lot of yards for the number two halfback. Uh, and, and so that's the thing that is interesting to me is not necessarily can Calvin Tyler physically, can he get to a thousand yards? I think unquestionably, yes. I think that, that in an offense that 
gave him that, you know, the, the kind of carries needed to get to those figures and, and, and relied on him like a bell cow without a number two, you know, a true number two back who's splitting carries with him, um, he would get to a thousand easily. I think that he could run for like 1500 yards in an offense that focuses on that kind of thing. You put him out at San Diego state, then he's, he's going to go nuts. You know, he's, he's a very, very good running back, but I don't know, even with questions in the number two spot at halfback, I don't know that Utah State has an appetite for doing that. I don't know that it has a huge interest in overload, not necessarily overloading, I think you could handle it, but loading up Calvin Tyler with, with reps, with carries, because of a lack of confidence in his backup. I just, I think that there's enough talent in the room that they're not going to do that. I don't think I don't I don't think that they're going to load him up. I think that he's probably going to be around that 200 range like he was last season. Whether he can turn that into a thousand yards, I don't know. Um, it's certainly possible. You can run for a thousand yards on 200 carries. It's it's plenty of guys have done it. Um, I think that he could do that absolutely. I do think that they're going to lean on the running game a little bit more this season as they break in some new wide receivers, which we'll talk about in a second. But um, that's that's what I'm interested in with Calvin Tyler more than anything else. We know he's good. We know that we know what he can do. I don't know what the ceiling is statistically. I don't know how much he's going to be asked to do in in terms of of pure carries and, and production requirements. I'm interested in that. I'm also interested in the backup spot, which I think is almost more. I don't know what the word would be more intriguing than the starter. There's no battle for the starting position. We know who the starter is. The backup spot is a little bit more up in the air, right? It's John Gentry uh, and then um, Macacona. I don't want to mispronounce his first name. I, I'm still I'm working on names right now. I apologize. Um, but th- those are the two who I sort of think of as, as competing largely for the number two running back spot. And I'm interested in both of them for very different reasons. John Gentry reminds me a lot of Calvin Tyler. I think that when he's at his best, he looks a lot like Calvin Tyler. He's a little bit bigger. He's 5'11", but he has that track speed. He has that sort of that lateral quickness. I think he was a track guy in high school uh, coming out of Houston. When he flashed last year, he looked excellent. He looked very, very good. He had some runs in the North Dakota game. He had some runs against Washington State, Boise State. Uh, that were, I think, excellent, that were very, very impressive. He has a rare combination of speed and power from that frame. He's, he's sort of a prototypical back in terms of size. Um, he's a great athlete. He's a very good athlete. The issue with John is, and the thing that kept him from more carries last season, carried 66 times for 235 yards, is that sometimes he can be a little bit impatient and he can run himself into tackles for loss or into being stuffed to the line of scrimmage. And you just can't have that. You can't have that from your number two back. Um, You can't have that, obviously, from your starter. And that's the thing that I'm interested in with him is, can he put it all together? Can he take that talent that he obviously has, he is supremely talented, and mold it a little bit, tone it down a tiny bit sometimes, be a little bit more patient, you know, sort of refine his game, technically speaking, so that he can maybe the explosive plays drop a tiny bit. Maybe there's a little bit of drop off there because he's not going full speed 110% of the time, but so that he can avoid those lost yards, right? So that he can avoid the games where he has 
last season, I'm not giving any specific example, just off my, off the top of my head, he would have games where he has like seven carries for 12 yards, right? That just, it's not going to work. And six of those yards came on one carry. It's not going to work. And so I'm interested in that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't have a, uh, I don't know that I have a prediction right now. An off season of work can do a lot of good for a young running back. He's getting into, you know, he's an upperclassman now. That year is usually pretty important for running backs. The, ju- the sophomore to junior off season is a big one. That's one where you really start to pick up the, the details of the offense that you're within. The game starts to slow down for you. I have confidence that he can be a very good number two running back and take over the starting job next season. Um, but I still have questions about it because of the issues that he had in patience last year. Um, Macacona is the other one who I'm a little bit less curious about because I just haven't seen a whole lot from him, if I'm being honest. Former Juco guy, was pretty good as a Juco. He's a senior now. Um, he's the biggest back on the team by far. He's 215 pounds. He's physical. He, in theory, should be able to get you tough yards, but he just didn't really do that last season. Had a weird stretch of five or six games where he had significant playing time when Calvin Tyler was hurt, but then didn't really do a whole lot outside of that. Um, And six carries for negative five yards in the opening, uh, I think, three or four games of the season, uh, which is not good, (laughs) obviously. There's, I don't know what the word is. There's intrigue here. There's potential here. He's strong. He's big. He's, again, in theory, a power back who can get you powerful yards, and that's something that I think that this team does need. It adds a component to the running game that's just not there really right now because there's not enough size. Um, But it's consistency with him too, and also we haven't really seen those top-end flashes. There's a, a lot of just the idea of him right now, but it's not proven. And so my pick... And this is not going out on a limb by any means. My pick is that Gentry is going to be the number two uh, halfback, and then that number three spot's going to be up for grabs based on how the last guy I want to talk about performs. Um, last guy I want to talk about is Robert Briggs, who, uh, if you don't know a whole lot about, I don't blame you because he is a true freshman. He just got to campus in June, uh, three star out of Belleville, Texas. He, this kid's awesome. I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna uh, hedge too much here. He was a uh, he was he was the whatever his Texas district was. I don't know how their districts work, but he was his district uh, utility player of the year in 2020. He's only five foot seven, 170 pounds. He was listed as a receiver, I think, coming out of high school, but he is a running back. Um, he he looks a lot like Calvin Tyler and John Gentry, and so I don't think he's gonna play a whole lot this year because he just. It's not additive, you know. At that point, what's the what's diminishing returns? You could just go with the guys who are experienced and who are not trying to save a red shirt for. Um, but he's he's a, he's really good. He's really really good. He's a fantastic athlete. He's a track guy as well. Has great balance. Um, really strong through the legs, driving when he when he makes contact. He's really creative. Um, <clears throat> I'm sure that he has things to learn at the college level. That that patience is always going to be a, a, a learning, you know, a stumbling block for young running backs. It's very, very few of them to come to college ready to have the same level of patience that you need at this level, ready to have the same kind of game-slowing-down vision that you need to have. Freshman running backs are, you know, contributing freshman running backs are overwhelmingly rare for a good reason. It's a, it's a hard position to learn at the college level. There's a big change there. Physically, 
you could be ready to go from day one. But mentally, there are some things that you have to pick up that are going to just take some time. It just takes time. And so I would guess that this is a redshirt season for him. He might see some playing time against more overwhelmed opponents, right? UConn comes to mind. Reber State comes to mind. Um, But I'm really excited about this guy in the long term. Uh, I think that he is probably a future starter. I think sooner than later, maybe this is your favorite for the 2024 starting job. I think that would make sense. I think that would actually make a lot of sense. Um, but I'm I'm interested to see if we get to see him on the field at all this season because I think he's really good. I think he's a really, really talented player, and I'm just I'm excited about watching him play. Um, I don't imagine he's going to play a ton this year, but bears mentioning all the same. So that's my guess at running back. Outside wide receiver is impossible. I have no idea. <laughs> I'm going to tell you straight up, I don't know. Uh, I don't think anybody knows except for maybe the people inside the building, uh, you know, the coaching staff. But even then, I think that the attitude, you know, spring camp is is, is behind us, um, heading into fall camp in, in August. I would guess that the attitude right now is still wait and see. It's still, well, let's see what they do in fall camp. Let's see what they do come August. Let's see what they do with the season a month away, right? Because I just, I don't know that there's enough right now to make a definitive statement uh, at pretty much anywhere at receiver outside of the first guy I'm going to talk about, Justin McGriff, who is a starter. Justin McGriff is a starter. I'm going to say that pretty confidently. Started last year, started in 2020. I don't imagine that they're going to take him off the field this year uh, out of that starting role. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, my question with McGriff is about sort of like with Calvin Tyler is about ceiling. It's about what can he do like at the top end? What, what, how much more can he add to his game? Has he plateaued? Has he hit his ceiling or is there more that we just didn't see because of who he was behind? He has certainly garnered the hype of somebody who's going to take a star turn this season in the spring. There was all sorts of excitement around Justin McGriff, and for good reason. He's six foot six. he's 220 pounds, he's a very good athlete, he has good hands, and he is the only experienced returning player on this team. There is experience coming from without the program that I'm going to talk about in a minute, but Justin McGriff is the internal hope here for a starting job. I don't think that that's unfair to say. Um, and he's good. He's very good. He was extremely important in the role that he played last year as a complimentary piece. He's a great blocker. He was a great decoy away from trips, looks away from screens. He could draw a lot of attention with his frame and he was a very good man coverage beater. When you, when you needed an easy completion, Justin McGriff was very, very reliable because of his frame, because of his athletic ability. But We've never seen him do anything but that. He has always just been the complimentary guy. Granted, he's only been at Utah State for two years. But that is the the question for me, is can he be a star? Can he be a top-end guy? I don't think that this receiver room is going to have a 1,700-yard receiver. I don't, I don't know that that's controversial. It shouldn't be. That's a lot. It's a lot of yards. <laughs> that's, that's hard to do. I think that it's probably going to be a couple 800, 900-yard guys, uh, you know, three or four, and then some 400, 500-yard guys. More balanced. Uh, Blake Anderson has alluded to to that, and I think that if that's the expectation, Justin McGriff can do that. He was at 430-something, 435, I think, last year. Um, that Or 414 on 34 receptions. Um, 
34, 35, it doesn't matter. That can go up. He could get more targets. He can get more receptions. He could go 50, 60 receptions. I think that that's realistic. I think that's reasonable to expect. He There's no reason to think that he couldn't have done that last year. He just didn't need to, right? But we do need to see it. We need to see him do it in an actual game where he is the top receiver or the number two receiver and is consistently targeted, consistently focused on as the the center of the play, as the, the, the route, the receiver that the play is designed around getting open and on throwing to. And that's what I'm interested with him is that we know he can be a complimentary piece. Can he star? Can he lead the, the receiving core? Right. Um, and I think that, uh, I, I think he can, I, I, I believe that I believe that he can, but we don't know that yet. And so I'm, I'm interested in that behind him, just staying at the, the, I don't know what you would call it. I guess the X receiver, it doesn't really matter. The big outside receiver, the, the bigger of the two outside receivers. Um, I think that there's an interesting battle here between uh, Quentin Hadnot and Otto Tia, two younger guys. Um, Adnot's a redshirt sophomore. Tia's a redshirt freshman, both former three stars. Um, Tia looked awesome in the last spring scrimmage. He had two touchdowns, um, three receptions, 60 yards. Hadnot is... he. he saw playing time as a true freshman redshirted last season both of them redshirted last season um my guess here and i honestly i don't have a ton to say about these guys because we've just seen so little of them my guess here is that tia gets the nod that he's the backup for mcgriff uh had not a year older but tia is six foot four he's 220 pounds physically he is closer to justin mcgriff than had not is and I think that's going to give him the edge because you can continue to have that physical presence on the outside opposite bunches opposite quicker slot receivers you can have that that sort of you know if McGriff if McGriff is stepping into more of a starring role I think that Tia in the second unit can fill the role that he filled last season right he can step into that complimentary spot in the second unit with what should be, I think, a really good second unit. I, I think that when you need to rotate him in, when you need to give McGriff a break, I would trust Tia to fill a, a not the same, but a somewhat similar, albeit diminished role, right? Had not, I think, is probably going to bounce around a little bit. I think that he will play. I think that he will find a way onto the field. I don't know if it's going to be here a ton. Um, I don't know where it's going to be. It could be in the slot. It could be in the second wide receiver role. You can make a case for either one. Um, I think he will play, but I, I don't think that it's going to be a set place anywhere. He's only six feet tall. Um, doesn't necessarily fit in that big receiver role, but also not entirely a slot or a or a you know a wide receiver either. Uh, he's an interesting guy. I would guess that he's going to play. I don't know that he's going to play a, gun, a, a ton. My prediction, again, is Tia is the backup, but like I said at the top, I don't know. Um, there's a lot of things that will you know, are still up in the air as we go into fall camp. And I think we'll be answered once we get into fall camp. But for right now, I'm thinking McGriff, then Tia, then had not in that first receiver role. Other receiver, which is the sort of Derek Wright role, uh, the, the intermediate, short intermediate target who can threaten deep if he needs to, but is largely trusted for possession stuff, is, is largely trusted to, you know, get you first downs this is a guy who's going to get you a lot of first downs maybe not the fastest player on the team but certainly a strong athlete big enough body that he can handle top tier cornerbacks all that stuff right brian Cobbs, i think is the starter here 
Xavier Williams could surprise me. Um, he is supremely talented. I'm going to talk about him in a second. But I think Brian Cobbs right now has to be the favorite in this spot. He's 6'2", 205, and he has started in like 20 games in the Big Ten. That is a, that's a big number. That's, you know, counting stats there weren't great. They were fine. Uh, he had 59 receptions for 880 yards for four across four seasons. But he started in 2021 at a Big Ten school, and he filled basically the same role that Derek Wright did. He's not quite the deep threat that, that Wright was, um, but he's fast. He has good hands. He is physical and knows how to use his body, has good body control. I think that intermediate role would fit really, really well for him. Um, that's where I would put him, certainly. And, and I think that from the sound of it, he established himself in in the spring as the favorite and I, I i don't see him i don't see him surrendering that every transfer is a risk because they are transfers it's the nature of the beast but he is about as low risk as you're going to find a transfer i think that we we pretty much know what he is i don't think he's going to be a star but 40 50 receptions intermediate a lot of them you know serving as that that guy who is just always open always reliably open uh, for for Logan Bonner. I think he could totally do that. I think it's a great fit. I think he's the starter. Xavier Williams is interesting. Xavier Williams should be really, really good. In in I said as much in the story. In theory, Xavier Williams is the most interesting football player on this team. Former four star. He was a top one forty or top one fifty recruit in twenty eighteen. Uh, went to Alabama, which is in itself impressive played in the 2020 national title game, had a catch in the 2020 national title game, um, and then was in contention for a starting job in 2021 before suffering a season-ending injury. Um, In theory, he's healthy, ready to go, former track guy, fantastic athlete, maybe the fastest player on the team. He's, you know, six foot, let's see, six foot 195 is what he's listed at. I don't think he's 195 right now. Uh, I think he still has some, some... weight to gain this offseason uh, after being hurt last year. But the idea of him being healthy is extremely good. It is you know, maybe one of the most talented receivers in the Mountain West, right? In practice, we've not seen that yet. <laughs> I say in practice literally here. In spring practice, from the sounds of it, we did not see that. I wasn't here for spring practice, but I've I've picked up quite a bit through, through osmosis and um, – it sounds like Xavier Williams was there and flashed, but wasn't as dominant as people were hoping. And I think that that's going to give him an uphill battle come fall camp, right? Because Brian Cobbs is so consistent. He is so committed to who he is as a wide receiver. And it's just, it's, it's going to be hard to knock that kind of guy off the starting line. What Xavier Williams has to his benefit is that athletic ability, is that potential, and is the fact that I think he's the best deep threat on the roster. Um, one of the slot guys might prove me wrong. Uh, I think that Terrell Vaughn could be that kind of guy. I think Nine and I Davis could be that kind of guy. But Xavier Williams, I believe, is the fastest of the receivers on the team. He is, in Blake Anderson's words, fantastic at tracking the ball in the air. I would guess that his role will be the deep threat guy, and I think he's probably going to come off the bench in name only. I, I don't think he's going to be the. I don't think he's going to be a starter, but I think he will see plenty of playing time. Um, either alongside Cobbs and McGriff or in, in relief of one of them uh, as the deep threat, as a jet sweep threat, as a screen threat, as whatever you want him to be. His versatility makes him very valuable. And so I don't list him as a starter 
right now. I don't think he's going to beat out Cobbs or McGriff full on. I don't think he's going to beat out either of the guys in the slot either, which I'm going to talk about next week. But he is too talented to keep off the field, and I do think he's going to play. I just I don't know that he's going to be the star that, say, when I saw Utah State landed him back in January, I immediately thought he would be. When I saw that commitment, my first thought was, oh, that dude's going to be awesome. He's going to be an all-Mountain West kind of guy. I don't know about that right now. But he's got two years. He's got time. I believe he's got two years. He's got one or two years. The, the COVID eligibility has ruined me. It, it, I, I have no idea. But I think he has two years left. And I think that he will develop into a very valuable part of the offense. I, I don't know that it's going to be as a starter. I think he's going to play. I think that there there has maybe been a little bit too much push back in the other direction against Xavier Williams this spring after after a, a you know a, a disappointing spring I'll say it it's a disappointing spring I don't I don't need to mince words here I think there's been a tiny bit of of too much in the other direction in response to that I think he could still be a very very important player for this for this offense that's still my expectation at this point but as it stands in July um, my wide receivers on the outside in, in starting spots are Justin McGriff and Brian Cobbs with probably Otto Tia and Xavier Williams behind them, respectively. I will talk about slot receivers next week. I will also talk about realignment soon. Again, if you have questions, uh, swing over to the site. You're you know, $10 subscriber. Swing over to the site. Jump into the, uh, the, the call for questions post. Send in your question. Um, I would really love to get that po- that 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 uh, podcast up in the next couple days. Um, if if more you know more questions don't come in, uh, I will make it work. I'm gonna just just really expand on the ones that I that I do have. Um, I'm not you know it's never gonna be withheld or anything. But uh, it's uh, your questions if you have them are again greatly greatly appreciated. As is your support of the outlet in general. If you are a ten dollar tier subscriber, thank you, thank you, thank you. I cannot thank you enough. Um, if you are a six dollar tier subscriber, thank you so much. Um, anybody who has who has made the decision to uh, to to support this venture, um, you are. I, I'm. I'm. I can't. I can't say how grateful I am. It's it's uh it's it's extremely kind, and I, I really appreciate it. Uh, if you've not yet done that, but you are interested, again, try that one free month. I I think you'll like it. I think that you'll like what I do. I'm excited about this next month. I'm excited about getting into fall camp, um, and I'm excited about next week's podcast. And hopefully, I'm gonna Q and A podcast here pretty soon. Um, as for the former, for the free show, uh, I will talk to you guys next Saturday.